This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Help us envision this. So what does the future of living and working look like? At the end of the day, we are living the Jetsons life. That's the future to our large degree. COVID has really changed the environment of cities from you go to your office and then you come back to your home, but rather taking your home and your home now becomes the hub of your existence. That's the future. Like how do you design places to live that accommodate this new way of living. There's this ba these barriers, these, these hierarchy barriers have been cut down. So digital, digital technology has made it possible. Thank you, Zoom. And I think that's the future. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Gladys Margarita Diaz. You are an entrepreneur and the founder of Urbaniza Group, <laughs> a property management company where you include urban design principles and economic development into your work. You have developed public-private partnerships to achieve economic benefit for entrepreneurs, property owners, and municipalities for over 20 years in South Florida. You are a recent graduate of David Breyer's Brand Intervention Masterclass within the American Real Mastery Academy. Gladys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's I've an honor. I've been so excited to, to do this interview with you. We've been talking now for several months. You just went through David Breyer's Masterclass, which is part of our academy group. And uh, you're just a bright, shining light. And I can't wait to share a piece of your story today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been a fun ride. Oh, I'm sure. We'll get into it. But before we do, tell us about Urbaniza. Do I pronounce that right? <laughs> what does it mean? Urbaniza means, uh, in Spanish, it means the, to develop. And urbaniza, urbanizar, which is uh, the infinitive, is conjugated in Spanish. He urbanizes. El urbaniza. Ella urbaniza which means she develops. And it was really, the company was created to work on the urban redevelopment of downtown Miami, which is uh, when I moved down here, that was what I was going to do and that I did. And so that was the beginning. That's incredible. And I know you went to school very close to where I'm located in Ithaca. You went to Cornell University. Burr. <laughs> where it's that time of year where it's uh, the temperature is dropping. You're in sunny Florida in that beautiful backdrop. Tell us about that. Oh, um, that's my house. I own a property in a city called Coral Gables, which is part of the city beautiful movement from the early 20s. And this particular property um, was built by the first accountant and the first controller for the University of Miami. And he built cottages behind his house to house visiting faculty. And I bought this property and I renovated it. And I did all the heavy stuff, the electrical, the mechanical, the plumbing. I did everything underground, which was like a real big challenge. And uh, those are the cottages. I rent them out. 
And I'm proud to say that when we bought the property, they were renting at $650 a month, and now they're at $2,000 a month. And it's a success story from a historic preservation perspective because we put the property back into health because it was really challenged in terms of overgrown stuff. And um, we're also providing uh, a place where people can come and stay and visit their family nearby because they're teeny weeny. They're like little itty bitty houses, you know? And so it's really fun. I love, you know, living here. Uh, I live in one of the bigger bungalows. So it's really like a whole community, you know? And it really, it seems, it looks like Europe to me. It's very different. It's very different. The style is really from the Caribbean. The, um, the, you know, Coral Rock is native to our area. So this is built in the style of the native stone, which is Coral Rock. And, in, and the sugar plantations, a lot of the property was built in this manner in the, throughout the Caribbean. If you go to visit different islands and in Coral Gables, which is where we live, thus the, uh, the name Coral, you go down three inches and you're on coral rock. So it's the native material of the region. Just gorgeous. It looks yeah. like just, an, how long have you been there? Uh, 20 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. I've been here a long time. Wonderful. So let's talk about this masterclass that you just finished because it's, you're just coming off this high of over eight weeks of intense coursework from David Breyer. Tell us about it. What, what was your thought about it going into the program and walk us through your journey and how you feel now that it's over? I think I've been in business for a really long time. And what I do is very, it, I combine things that are not normally connected. And in the words of, the, of Steve Jobs, who I think was really kind of cool, he connected things that ordinarily wouldn't have been connected you know, calligraphy and fonts and this and that. And I think that, you know, I've been trying to express, like, what do I do? What does my company do? What do we offer? And I couldn't figure out how to put words to it. And I've been struggling with that for quite some time. And part of it is I've been in business a really long time. So I've pivoted and I've done this and then I've done that. And I think that, you know, people tend to think in boxes. You're a realistic company you're an architect. So I'm much bigger picture. And that's what I wanted to communicate. And I had found out about David's class. I was thrilled to hear that he was offering a class because I follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Snitter, Critter. And I just loved his thoughts and I loved his humor. And I thought, I really want to learn from this guy. And I had bought the book and I had read it, Brand Intervention rising above the noise. And I kept saying, I want to rise above the noise. How can I do that? What do I do? How do I do this? And the book was great. But then I'm like, I really need somebody to hold my hand during this. And then the masterclass happened. And I was like, I'm in, you know, that's how it happened. Wonderful. And now that you've been through it, Gladys, how, how does, how did it change some of those thoughts that you needed answered? You know, are, do you feel like you are in a better place today than you were before it started? Yeah, of course. I think it really, what it did is it made you look inside the company and, and the company is you. I'm an entrepreneur and my husband's my partner. So the two of us together are the soul of the company. And interestingly enough, legally, 
a corporation is considered a person in in life you know it has a life span and it and it continues after the founders have ex have dropped their bodies and gone onto another plane and so I think what's happening is that that we finally figured out like okay the COVID happened how are we going to pivot yet again what are we going to do and what it did it clarified and solidified our viewpoint it gave us a focus it gave us the ability to express what we were thinking in a succinct manner and that to me was the biggest you know wow from the from the experience aside from all the fun that we had what was the hardest part of the class itself figuring out my differentiation and how to express it i think it wasn't that i didn't know that i was different i knew i was different i was like how do i tell people this and david just kept giving us things to read and things to look at and guiding us and and i had this aha moment and then i put it down and he was like okay you nailed it you know that's what it is and and really because we work with a lot of different types of people and uh, we work with people who want to buy a house or a place to live people who buy properties some are often entrepreneurs they want to find a place to put their business i've dealt with large public entities municipalities and at the end of the day they serve people you know the government is in the business of serving people and we can talk about that more later so, but now I'm curious, what was this aha moment you have to tell us? Well, I realized that our company erases the gap between the numbers and the feels, the feelings. And because I worked on Wall Street, I have like that mindset, number crunching, analysis, real estate is an investment. But I'm also a designer. So this other half of my brain goes, oh, wow, this is a great property. It has great potential. It could be renovated to do blah. And I've worked in, I mean, when I lived in Manhattan, I, I worked for investors that bought apartment buildings and converted them to co-ops. And I had to do the analysis of the building and so on. Then, then I worked with investors that were commercial. And you know, so I've done just about every type of property prototype. And I chose residential because everybody needs a place to live. And so I, I've been focused mostly on single family and multifamily, and also converting abandoned office buildings and abandoned lofts into living environments where you could actually live and work, which is the new thing. Yes. Not news to me. Every architect on the planet is all about live work. And uh, so that's kind of what happened. And I, I wanted to express, you know, there's numbers and, you know, there's a quantitative and a qualitative aspect to the real estate industry. And it's you. It's what you're aspiring to. It's what you want to achieve, where you will feel comfortable. What people forget is we work eight hours a day, allegedly. It's more 12 or 15 sometimes. And where you are spiritually enhances you or, or drains you. And so that's what a designer thinks about you know the office guy thinks about okay i'm paying 25 dollars 30 dollars 100 dollars a square foot and blah, blah, you know all that stuff so i think about the, both those sides of the equation i try to help people consolidate that data and figure it out to get something that not only satisfies their investment criteria but makes them really really happy and it fulfills their dreams their aspirations love yeah. it 
And I heard your testimonial video and you mentioned something to the effect to the effect that you have your MBA from Cornell, you taught at Cornell, but this program was equivalent to something like that. I mean, that's 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 pretty oh. impressive to hear. I have a master's of architecture, and that means that I'm and a minor in, in um, comparative literature and philosophy and a focus on urban design. That means that I can design cities, but what I look for and what I was trained to think with is what is the culture of a city? What is the soul of that environment or the vibe as it's called now? And what this program did is it just took me back to the days when I would go into class and it, we were with this amazingly famous professor and there were 10 or 15 of us and we would have homework and blah, 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 and then we would go over it and you could exchange ideas with the professor and then you went back and you did your homework and you know I'm pretty diligent when I'm doing stuff and it was like that it was like taking me back to the university and it was like eight weeks of you know really diving in and to me, that's the quality of this masterclass. It's at the level, the curriculum that David did, I saw it, it was so meticulous, it was so detailed, so correctly, gradiently sequenced that, and I've taught, so I know what the curriculum requirements are. You had to turn it into the dean and they had to approve your curriculum at the beginning of the semester. And I know what it takes. And he did that even more clearly than a lot of people. And that's the, the, the crucial issue is, do you feel comfortable in that environment? Can you learn? Does the professor want you to learn and understand what you're doing and clarify the nomenclature? This is a new world for a lot of us, you know? And so that was crucial. So if you were to say one thing about what this course did for your future, what would that be? It set me up. Hmm. It set me up for the future. Totally. It sounds like the timing was right for you. Yeah, it was like, focus, <laughs> and then, okay, here we go. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, it was, again, great to see you in that course, and I'm, I'm so happy that you and others benefited from it. So let's dive into your story. So take us back. Take us back to the early days, even before Cornell. What were you thinking as a youngster? Like, how did this whole, you have such a diverse background of, of interests and, and learnings uh, that you've been able to bring to the world. Where did that stem, stem from? Well, I'm a, a political immigrant. I'm a, I, my parents came, brought me here from Cuba right before the Cuban Missile Crisis. My father was an engineer. And while he was on the island, he knew where all the power stations were for the military installations. And when we arrived in the States, um, he said, I have some information you guys want, might wanna know. This is like March of 62, October of 62 was the missile crisis. I, we were moved, we were in gratitude from the government. We were placed in uh, Mountain View, California. I learned how to speak English and um, I just loved it. I loved being in that environment. I loved being bilingual all my life. And, you know, we moved back to Miami uh, because my parents, you know, found jobs and so on. And I grew up that education was the most powerful thing because no matter what dictator shows up at your door, what you've got here 
cannot be taken away. Knowledge is your superpower. Knowledge about any subject and how to study, learning how to study was very, very important to me as a person. And my parents like grounded into me. You have to be a great, learn how to learn. And, um, you know, I wanted to go, I wanted to be an architect. I always drew everything. I let my whole life, I was always drawing. And uh, my father was an engineer. So it was like, you could be an architect. That's a good profession for a woman. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. I'll do that. And uh, so I applied to Cornell, which was the best school for my major. And I wanted to learn that and I did it and I stayed for grad school and I, well, I went there because the most famous guy for my field was teaching there. And um, then I graduated, moved to Manhattan and then I realized I want to learn business. So the way you learn business is you go work on Wall Street. And did that. And then uh, I thought, okay, I wanted to, I've learned capital markets. I've learned, I've got my securities license. I was on the equities trading floor of a big, big, firm and I was the only Latina there. It was kind of fun. I was the sole source of Cuban cigars on the train. <laughs> you can imagine. I was extremely popular. I'm sure. And I got to sit like six feet away from the you know, this amazing guy who was the CEO of the company. His name was Ace Greenberg. And the company was called Bear Stearns. They're no longer around. They got merged into JP Morgan. But I sat on the Latin America desk and I got that job for two reasons. I had an Ivy League education and I could speak perfect Spanish and perfect English. And that was it. And then after doing that, I thought, okay, I like this, this is fun, but I wanna own my own company. I wanna be in my own place. And then I figured, you know, I'm Cuban, might as well go home to be with my parents. And when you're an entrepreneur, you need a place to crash. You need somebody to lend you money. <laughs> You need good Cuban food. Yeah, to feed you, somebody to feed you, somebody to wash your clothes. And, and you know, so I came home and I told my parents I'm going to start my company. And they're like, oh, okay, we're in the middle of the savings and loan crisis. How are you going to do that? And the Affordable Housing Act was going through Congress. So I decided I was going to specialize in that because I figured if I could do mergers and acquisitions for international clients, I could do this. And I did that. And so then, bada boom, bada bing, I started writing federal proposals and I became an expert. And I'm proud to say I found something I really loved, which is creating housing for people who are working, who could not afford to live in nice places, developing projects that are within striking distance of affordable. I hate to use the word low and moderate income, I call it work workforce housing because, you know, that's what it is. And um, I did that for a long time. And now we're doing something different. And I know that something different. One of the things is you uh, that I read in your bio is you are mixing technology in with your work. Can you can you talk about that? How does how do you mix the technology with the real estate? Well, real estate is all of it. It's one of the industries that right now is poised for quote unquote disruption. And I think what happens is that I'm a real estate agent or broker. My husband's a broker and we are trying to put together deals. And that is something that a lot of the technology companies are trying to eliminate the role of the broker. 
And what is really important is that, that you know, how you see a property. There is technology now where you can recognize what the property looks like and you can, you know, basically look at how how to find properties. And what I want to do is I want to change the way people search for properties. I want to go for something that makes it easy for people and makes it more visual. Right now, the existing system is based on DOS data. The MLS, the multiple listing service, is very old in terms of technology. And that's what the Zillow guys tried to do. But at the end of the day, the root, the mother data is from the multiple listing service. And it's something that I, I want to help to create something that's better and uh, assist the MLS to become better, I think, is a better way to put it. And um, I think technology helps you to envision. I don't know if you, that makes sense to you, that, that the technology that's available right now, I can walk into a house and I can take photographs and the, there's technology that will measure the space. There's technology that will create a three-dimensional projection of the space. And I can send that data to a client that's, you know, 5,000 miles away or 3,000 miles away, and they can look at it and they can perceive the space. And I think one of the key components about our company, you know, erasing the gap between the numbers and the fields is a person has to feel the space. They have to see what it's like. And I think that is what I want to use technology for, to help people to really understand what they're getting. I mean, technology exists to look at the numbers. That's easy. You know, that's been around for a long time. But really feeling where, having that experience, AI and, you know, what's the word? Um, you know, having something that's a virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And the, the gaming industry has pushed the boundaries so far ahead that is where the numbers are that's where i think the future of real estate is so when as you're as you're talking about this i think about um you know when you you, you go onto these sites and you could see the 360 view of a room um you know all the way around is, is this what you're talking about or even further um i think yeah that's what i'm talking about and even further like you know doing a search that basically gives me a visual, a capability of searching visually, you know, and picking out an image that I like. I can do that on Pinterest for my purses. I can take a picture of a purse and I can upload it to Pinterest and 30 minutes later, I have 65 different purses in 45 different brands that I could buy that look like the purse that I used to have, that I really like. Oh, so That's you want to take that same concept. concept and bring it to real estate. Yeah, because it's design driven as opposed to how many square feet and so on and so on. And, and also spatially driven because, you know, there's also the technology of creating the visuals of the interiors, like, like I said, and the views. And you can take those images and you can have them as searchable. And I think that that's the next step for us. And I that's love it. Well, wow, Gladys, I cannot wait to see where you take that. That And, and that's really important, um, not only for your career, but I think that's progression for the entire industry. Uh, that's the kind of things that David Breyer talks about, right? No, no, no. He, he says it very well. You want to cause a revolution. 
And to be honest with you, when I started Urbaniza, I wanted to create a new model of real estate company, something that integrated design and brokerage and for architects to become involved in the process of you know the acquisition of of real estate whether it be commercial or residential and i wanted it to be like an integrated process and you know it's taken a long time the technology hasn't not really been there the other thing is you know when you're a creator a creative person you're always imagining the future you're like light years ahead of what's reality and now technology is kind of coming to the point where, wow, I can use that software to do this action. And um, that's what David talks about, really thinking of like massive, how are you going to change the future? How are you going to make something that's going to revolutionize your industry? And that's what I'm looking at. That's, that's what I'm hoping, that's what I'm grasping at, if you want to call it, the brass ring. <laughs> and one other thing he says is you don't um, necessarily just build a brand, you build an empire. And an empire, yes. I could, I could feel that in this project that you're working on. That's how big it is. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that, you know, that's the future. I really hope that I create a legacy for our industry because I believe that we need better cities that respond to people's lives. And uh, smart cities uh, right now, Elon Musk is trying to create the smart cities movement and, you know, using solar power and, and integrated technology. And I think that that is where we're going and, you know, creating housing for everyone that everyone can achieve, not just one guy, but a lot of people can, can have a place that's beautiful and safe and comfortable and a place where they can raise their families and they can work. So tell it, help us envision this. So what does the future of living and working look like? Okay. Because take us out 2030. Back to when you were a kid and you were watching the Jacksons. Okay. That's the future. We're here. The other day I was talking to a girlfriend of mine. She says, I feel like Mrs. Jetson. I do my exercises on television. I work on, you know, remotely. Uh, the dog gets walked by the tread walker, you know, the, the walking uh, treadmill. And at the end of the day, we are living the Jetsons life, you know, and now we have uh, drive cars that are self-driving. And I think that that's the future to our large degree. COVID has really changed the environment of cities from you go to your office and then you come back to your home, but rather taking your home and your home now becomes the hub of your existence. And you're trying to figure out how am I going to get my kids to do their homework? How am I going to answer my boss on this phone call and quiet, you know, that's, that's the future. Like how do you design places to live that accommodate this new way of living? And it's going to happen and offices are going to, reduce their footprint. Yes, obviously we have to have places we can all get together. I really miss having my gang around, but at the end of the day, the environment of the office is gonna be a lot more um, of a familiar environment, if you will, more like being in a house as opposed to like being in an office building and 
you know, obviously there's always going to be the lawyers firms and things like that, where there's 200 people on a floor. But the reality is that it's become a lot more casual. I mean, think about it. You were watching Jimmy Fallon play in his house and he was in his PJs or whatever it was. And there's this ba these barriers, these, these hierarchy barriers have been cut down. So digital, digital technology has made it possible. Thank you, Zoom. And I think that's the future. And I think that what, what I learned in this class was to believe in my own vision. I think that's one of the takeaways that I think everybody has to look at because David makes sure that he points you in the direction of looking at what you had dreamed about in the beginning. You lost your purpose. You kind of, you know, thought, oh, it'll never happen. And now you can look at it again and say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this go. So it's not just a branding class. It's much more than that. It's a, a spiritual revitalization of your purpose for your business and making it go right, making it happen. That's deep. Wow. No, and it's so true. It's so true. One of the questions I wanted to ask, well, two things. First, first, as you were talking about how the offices are going to be different, also the home's going to be different, and that's because more people will be working from home. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll so. be designing new places um, to work within within the living environment. I think the way that you know, res single family is always you know bigger or smaller. It's much more flexible than when you're in multifamily. Multifamily buildings often have places where you can congregate. You know, in other words, you can work from your apartment and go downstairs to the amenity, and you can use. The, they have conference rooms. They have playrooms. They have this and that. And I think that's going to become more popular. And obviously, the the work we works of the world, where that you have an environment where you can go there once a week or two times a week, meet with your team, and then go back and work individually. That's pretty powerful. You know, that's always been around, but now it's going to be more popular. And and I think that um, multi generational living is going to be stronger because people are going to want to be, you know, with their families. The elders want to live with their families, um, con you know, creating structures that have like an, a sort of an appendage, if you will, or an auxiliary structure where you can rent it out, Airbnb it, or you could put your in-laws in there or your mother who wants to move here for six months from the winter or your older child who comes home and wants to start their own business. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and also, you know, think about the history of American housing. What happened during the 60s and the 70s? We had great things coming in out of American garages. Name the number of American companies that are global powerhouses that came were created in a garage. Yeah. Garages are the most underestimated incubator buildings and that in the history of you know real estate i mean think about it if steve jobs didn't have parents with a garage where would apple have started if bill gates didn't have a dad with a garage where would microsoft have started hewlett packard started in a garage i mean chrysler started in a garage think about it nike phil knight the story goes on and on. Amazon, hello, 
So that's the story. So, you know, for people who don't have a garage, there has to be that garage space that's kind of flexible to be able to create a, a new environment, a new business, you know, and I think that's the future. We have an entrepreneurial mindset in this country. And, uh, you know, it's something that I hold very near and dear. And, um, you know, the, the fact that you can just arrive here with one piece of luggage, no money, and you can say, I'm going to become somebody and I'm going to create myself what I can do and create an achievement. And I lived it. My parents did it. I watched it happen with my own eyes. I have friends whose parents are like bazillionaires because they did it and they created a product that then, you know, became something else. And it's, it's what America was originally created. Immigrants who came and said, okay, I'm here. I'm going to make this happen. Starting with, you know, the Mayflower. And, you know, I think that that creativity, that, that desire for innovation, that's us. That's who we are. And David embodies that. Yes, he so, does. Yes, he does. So one of the uh, other items that we wanted to discuss today was, let's talk about what's going to happen with the, all these malls around the country that, you know, the retailers or the anchors are leaving and then the smaller stores are leaving and now they're, you know, 75% empty. What do you see happening with the malls, uh, Gladys, around, around the United States? Um, retail facilities have the possibility of adapt, what's called adaptive reuse, which is basically you find a new use for the mall. The, the way retail is going to be, you know, configured is going to be a little bit different. Amazon is putting together a relationship with Simon, which is the biggest powerhouse mall owner on the, in the United States. And the idea of creating places where you can go pick up, you buy something online, but you want to try it on, you can go there. I have a friend who's created what I consider to be the model of, he has a runway in the, in his store and he basically subcontracts to like six or seven different people and they do their stuff from home or they work from home or whatever, they're craftspeople and designers. And they have their little mini shop in his facility and it's a pop-up shop and he provides like XYZ services. So it's no longer the big mall owner, but it's basically a bunch of entrepreneurs helping each other to use their online presence to bring in business. And, and that online bricks and mortar, there's going to be a little bit more of a balance. The malls have huge footprints and those can be, you can develop them as gardens. You can develop them as housing. You can, uh, the, the big box retailers, you know, if you can't put an Amazon there, the, the, in the medical world, the medicine, the, the universe of, you know, treatments and all that, that's all going to expand. It's still expanding. So different types of medical treatments, like more alternative medicine, you know, uh, natural healing, this that, and the other. At the end of the day, people are very concerned about their health and maintenance of their health. So I think that those volumes might be useful for medical facilities because medical facilities require a lot of parking. Believe it or not, that's a big thing. But I'd like to see more um, converting to other uses to provide housing that's more centrally located because malls are usually very well centrally located and they're accessible by highways and stuff like that. And uh, one of the key challenges is 
land. Where do you build? So you have these huge properties that have a lot of land that are now becoming vacant. Let's look at what we can do to activate them, to make them lively. And repurpose. Yeah, that's great. Repurpose, and at yeah. the same time, people are are leaving the big cities too, right? Like I know New York, so many people have moved out of New York City this year. Uh, what do you see happening there, say places like that are say an hour distance from a, a larger city? That's a huge trend right now. And since all my, I have a lot of friends in the urban planning business, I know friends who have been working for different, small, what I call smaller cities and second tier markets that are being developed to become having a, you know, a really nice main street and there are places where you can live, have access to you know, grocery stores and all the, the basic amenities and be within striking distance of a bigger city. And I am a big advocate of, you don't have to live in the heart of the city anymore, even though I'm an urbanist and I love cities, you can be close to a city. Another trend is close to a university. University towns, have always had a lot of vibrancy. Yes. And people, you know, want to live close to the university town so they can take advantage of the free concerts and all the other social things that happen as part of a big university. But then at the same time, they're in a in a more private setting and you can raise your kids and it's a it's a I think a lot of people are afraid of being too too crowded in right now. And I I understand that. So there's opportunities opening up in markets that people otherwise would never have considered. And think about towns like Ithaca, New York, where you went to school. I mean, what an amazing place to live. Burr. <laughs> Other mean, than the weather. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, it would be the ideal place to, to live. It is a great place to raise your family. It's a small town. The university is there. They always have concerts and lectures and you can still take courses but you're literally three minutes away from this gorgeous, you know, rural environment. So you can live on a really beautiful piece of land, yet you can drive in and be a part of this, you know, wonderful cultural enrichment. And I think part of it is that people are also seeking more learning. People want to learn the rest of their life. It's not like you retire and you go fishing, which some people actually like to do but they also like to do other things. And you wanna have that variety in your life. I guess that's the thing. And you're right, you know, being close, you're in Binghamton, right? You're close yes. to, yeah, Binghamton State University. It's a huge school, great, great program. And you can live, you know, close to the university, live in a nice area, have schools that are, you know, really nice and good for your kids public, you know, the public school systems, you know, we can talk about that another day, but edu getting an education, being close to education is, is very powerful. And, it, sure is. Uh, it sure is. Gladys, earlier you talked about uh, affordable housing. Why is that so important? It's basically, think about every revolution in the history of Western civilization. People who are unhappy because they don't have access to food, clothing, and shelter, basics of life, and they become very upset because the people who have that, they want to take it away. I'm telling you this because I lived through it. And at the end of the day, 
that what really works is helping people who want to achieve, helping them achieve. And by creating housing that is within an affordability factor, you know, if, if people can actually pay for it and not take 100% of their income to pay their rent, and, and they live in beautiful buildings that are well-built and well-designed, that's gonna go very far towards creating a stable society. Because a stable home is what, what gives people an opportunity to basically live and, and educate and grow. And that's, you know, every, every family wants to have like a stable point, you know, where everybody can get together or everybody can be together, people can live together. And yeah, there's all these dynamics about, you know, this is dysfunctional and that's dysfunctional. You know, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a stable place to live, a safe place to live, a place that you can be happy to come home to, that's going to make it difficult. And the most that I can do is I can make that shelter the most functional, the nicest, the cleanest, give you places to go and play, give you places to go and sit and do your homework or places where you can relax for the, for the adults. If you design a community for that and give that opportunity at an affordable price, you're cooking like Crisco, you know? And I think that that goes a long way towards creating a stable society. It's not, if you have a lot of high rises that have a lot of luxury apartments, those luxury apartments are gonna employ people that are service people that get paid a wage, but they're not gonna be living in that building, but they're going to be coming in and out of that building. You don't want them to drive to outer Mongolia. You want them to be close by so that they can be part of the city that you live in. And I think, that that's a very important issue which and i say this because i'm in miami we have like exponential amounts of luxury housing and the price of the average home is very very high so what i've done is i'm still working with the housing finance authority to basically approve properties and their development i'm chairman of the architectural review committee so developers who want to design to build they have to go through my committee that they're designing a building that's actually gonna fit into the environment of the context of the neighborhood. They're gonna create an environment that's safe, that's, that's functional, that people can open their windows and they can have cross ventilation if they don't wanna run their AC. You know, there's a lot of things that are design pieces that you can put into effect that are gonna create a better environment. And I think if you do that in a city, in a community, and create a, 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 a balance of accessibility to the housing, it goes a long way toward preventing, you know, revolutions, in my opinion, you know. And do you see this happening? I know you, you said it's, it's being, you know, done in, in Miami, but do you see this happening in other cities across the country? I see generations of young people that are very interested in this issue. And I say this because my students, were people that were interested in this field. And they've gone on to create careers in this particular field. I'm very proud to say that I've catalyzed a lot of young people. I've mentored students for years, I still do. And creating cities that have a, a balance, that are not skewed in one direction or another economically, that have provide services for all of the residents, accessibility to services, accessibility to housing, that's crucial. And public transportation that works, that's well-designed, that's well-planned. So people who don't wanna have a car 
can choose to not have a car and can get around. It's not that simple in suburban environments, but there could be ways of creating, you know, transportation systems. And I think that's crucial. So the future, ha I think we have generations of young people now, the, the people that are coming up, who are very interested in this. And I'm happy to say that, you know, this is, the, this is a good, good news. I would agree a hundred percent. And, um, you know, I do, you know, I, 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 I have concern coming out of this, uh, COVID period of many of the people leaving the big cities. Um, you know, what's going to happen. We can't have everyone leave the big cities. We, we need our New Yorks. We need our Miamis. Um, you know, what do you see, what do you see happening there? Uh, short-term, long-term, will people start going back to the big cities? or are they moving away permanently? What's the balance? I think um, we've seen it in the last two, in the 20th century, where you had the growth of the industrial revolution at the beginning of the century, where people left the cities because the cities were clogged of smoke and very unpleasant places to live. And then, and they moved for health and for, for sanity, right? out to the burbs, suburbs. And now, and then people start moving back into the cities because they wanted to be part of the urban environment and, and the cultural experience and so on. I think that there's always gonna be an ebb and flow of, of activity leaving and coming and arriving and being, but man has traditionally wanted to be together. Humanity has always created, civilizations have always created places where they can be together. And if you watch any of the National Geographic specials on the old British castles and the old castles from the ninth century and so on, people came to live around the castle because the castle protected them. So the city has to offer something special, something for the residents that is above and beyond what they can get living somewhere else. And mind you, now they're competing with digital technology and all that. But cities have to amp up, and the governors of different cities, the municipalities, da, da da da. I work with a lot of these guys, so I know them personally, and I know where their heads are at, and they're trying to figure out like, how can I do this? And that's why dialogues between public officials, elected officials, people, creative people, and people who are inventors, you know, like the Elon Musk of the world, which I admire very much first creating new technology that's going to change the way you live. Well, how can we use that to these cities, you know? And that's the the plus, you know, being together, being say, you know, in a group. And then you want to be in the outskirts, you know, because you want to be alone and you want to be in the environment of the of nature, which is really cool as well. But you can still drive to the city. And it's not that far. Or bicycle to the city. Right. Oh, that makes so much sense. I mean, that's very smart. Um, and I, I, as you explain that, and it, it just makes sense. It's been happening for thousands of years. So um, it's that ebb and flow, as you talked about. Um, what excites you to get out of bed in the morning? What do you get motivated for? Um, I love working on my projects. <laughs> I love figuring things out. I love um, 
you know, that I'm going to do something. I mean, you know, being active and creating and, you know, I'm pretty active in a bunch of committees and so on. And I'm like, that happened because of me. I know that I changed this environment because I was there. That's priceless to me. You know, um, I worked on the first project that was built in downtown Miami. In 1994, we were hired to do the renovation of an old building that was abandoned and make it into lofts as affordable housing. That made all the developers interested, like, oh, people want to live in downtown? I'm there. And it's, you know, you're the bell cow. You kind of be the, the pioneer. And people think you're crazy. That always happens. You're the pioneer. People think you're crazy. But I'm used to it by now, you know. And I think that's the future, you know? Wow. Gladys, you are just, uh, you, you have such a diverse background and um, I just learned so much from you today. You talked about mentorship earlier. If there's some younger people out there listening or their parents that are listening uh, on their behalf, what would you say to young people who have an interest in architecture, in urban design, in you know, some of these technologies that you're talking about that are up and coming? What advice do you have for them? The future is yours to create. And it is the most rewarding field in the, in the, in my opinion, one of the most rewarding fields, fields because you think of something, you draw it up, you, you figure out how to build it, you fit, you confront the physical universe and you're like, okay, pour the concrete, build the wall, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, what was your idea? When you had in your mind that picture, all of a sudden it's there. And you're like, oh my God, I did that. I made, I made my impact on earth. I created this. And you have the possibility to do that. And that is one of the most beautiful things about this business of real estate and design and, and urban planning. You have the ability to create the future and just focus on learning as much as you can and being in touch with what you love and what you like to do that wakes you up. Like you asked me a question, what wakes you up in the morning? It's like, I love what I do. I love looking at buildings and like, oh, I could do that to this and I could, and this neighborhood, oh my God, look what's gonna happen, you know? And um, that's the fun part. And I have a lot of friends who are into it. So we call each other, oh man, did you see that? <laughs> that's just awesome. If you were to take out your cell phone right now and call the 20-year-old Gladys, who oh, would you tell her? Have no fear. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't be afraid of the people who are trying to step on you and bully you, which, by the way, did happen. Sexually harass you, which, by the way, did happen. And do not fear that they have more power then they, they don't think that they have more power than you do because you are the power and they're afraid of you. And that's what's going on. So don't be afraid. If people want to reach you, Gladys, what is the best way for them to connect? I'm on LinkedIn, Gladys Margarita Diaz. And I use my name, my unmarried name because, you know, I, I married Ray, not exactly at the age of 20. So I kept my business name and I'm on LinkedIn. Please email me, text me. My phone number's in there. 
and I will respond immediately. Um, I love, you know, talking to people and seeing how we can create magic because it is magic. And this imagination, it is magic because look around you, look at the things that we've done in the last 50 years, what man has achieved last 10 years and not that much. How many people have created the most amazing things that when you were a kid, was like, what, what, you know? And it keeps getting better and better. It's just yeah. it's amazing what, what we could do when we put our minds to it. We've heard that since we were young too, but that word create, you've said that so many times and that's, that's just the theme here of this episode. So I, I thank you so much for that because it gives people the feeling and the power themselves that they have it within them to be able to create whatever they want. They could envision that whether it's in architecture or not. Um, we talked about uh, writing a book. Anyone could create writing a book that that's within your mind. So I love the fact that you're such a creative individual that you've uh, brought so much to South Florida and uh, to the rest of the country and the world through your mentorship. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being amazing. And welcome to the American Real family. Gladys Margarita Diaz, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.